All right, so in this chapter, in this episode, we're continuing our series on hearing the call. So this is episode number two. You can go back and listen to episode one. There's a bit of an introduction in that episode, and we did talk about hearing the call to action. So if you'd like to, you can listen to that. Otherwise, today, I thought here we would talk about the call to arms. And this is also called the call to war. So to be calling forth to go into battle. This is the kind of brave heart <laughs> picture where the general is on the battlefield and his army is behind him and the enemy is just across the other side of the battlefield and the general then, well, he makes his speech, he makes his call, he makes his way of saying this is what we're going into, this is what we need to do, we need to unite, we need to be strong, we need to answer the call to go into war. And, of course, this comes up again and again in the movies, right? This has been in so many movies. The Braveheart movie is just sort of one of those. And I'm reminded of a number of stories which illustrate this which is that there was this story of this old family friend, and I won't mention his name. Let's just call him Mr. Smith for the sake of the story. And the story goes that Mr. Smith was conscripted into the war. So this is a very obvious, very real call to arms, a call to action. And Mr. Smith, as it was, didn't believe in war. His attitude was, if someone gives me a gun and says, go shoot someone, I would say no. I wouldn't do it. And that was his logic on violence. That was his logic on war. And as it was in... (laughs) the history of Australia, there was a time when we had conscription, which meant that if your name came up, your numbers came up, you were to go to war. And that was the law. You had to do it. So, Mr. Smith was conscripted. His numbers came up and the military police came round to his house to tell him and to get him to go with them. They knocked on the door, and he answered the door, and they said, Is Mr. Smith home? And he said, No, he's not home, he's not here. As a matter of fact, he doesn't live here anymore. And he closed the door and he got rid of them, or you know, said what he needed to say to lie and get out of it and evade the military police. Now, I don't know actually what happened if they were able to track him down. I think I think the story goes that he actually got away. He actually didn't go to war and he was actually able to sort of have a kind of mini exile or a kind of <laughs> a kind of hideaway happening. So that's an example of really hearing something 
in a very literal sense and hearing it very clearly, being able to see and sense exactly what it means and knowing really how you feel about it and what it means for your place. Pardon me. What it means for you in your place in the rest of the world. And of course, you see, well, the response is not pro-war. His response wasn't yes. When you hear the call, depending on what it is, it doesn't mean an affirmative action. It doesn't mean going along with it. It means responding, in the case of Mr. Smith, with a resounding no, with a resistance. And there's another story which comes to mind. There's another little moment which, it's not really a story, it's more of an illustration where I was with some family friends and there were some kids playing and one of the kids had a gun. I think it was a it was one of those guns where you shoot it and the little foam thing sort of goes out. And I think sometimes the foam thing can stick to the window. Like if you shoot it at a window, then it sticks to the window. One of those little guns. And he was playing with this gun and then another friend came along. And the friend also had a gun. And in that moment... It was so obvious, like he had the sort of same brand and everything, the same sort of kind of gun. It was like really like this big coincidence of, oh, you've got one, I've got one, we should play together. And of course, it was very obvious in that moment that they should shoot at each other. They should play as one on the other side and they should be enemies. That's the game that was just so obvious to be played. And... In that moment, I think, if I remember correctly, one of the parents sort of pulled one of the kids over and said, now, you know, don't don't you be shooting your friends or don't you play mean with your friends, right? Because the lesson there of guns and children in any sort of context, even in a playful way, that is very dangerous. That is very much something you want to avoid, right? Is is there a darker image than a child with a gun? Is there anything more horrifying than violence and children? It's It's really quite scary. So I can understand that parent's response to these children playing to see, okay, well, <laughs> don't be shooting each other. Don't be playing into violence. And yet, in that moment, what I could see, just as looking at it as if it was a picture, as if it was a photograph of these two children with play guns and this parent off to the side watching along, it was so obvious that the thing that wanted to happen was them for them to shoot at each other, for them to play war. And this is a game that kids play, right? They play it even when they don't have those guns. They play it in all sorts of ways. Again and again they play it. And I can see the appeal. I can see the feeling. There's something as a masculine man 
as a macho man, as someone who wants to assert his power and to feel strong, I can sense what it's like to have a gun, to have that power, to, to, to battle forth, right? That's a very unique feeling. That's a very empowering feeling. And we resonate with that because we are weak. We are powerless in so many ways. And we want to be empowered. And we want to assert ourselves in many ways. So, to hear the call to arms, to hear the call to war is not so black and white as to say, well, war is bad, so we should not do it. And, of course, if you ask me personally, well, I would say that Mr. Smith had the right idea. I very much admire the man for his response and his wit and his ability to see very clearly clearly the situation. And I feel very much that, well, kids should be allowed to shoot at each other. (laughs) It might be that if we allow the kids to shoot at each other, they can learn the lessons of war for themselves. And they can learn it without blowing their limbs off. They can learn it with just the play guns, the practice guns. So you might say, well, I give my kids guns because I don't believe in war, right? That's a very, that's a very round about confusing sort of image. It's like, well, what's your logic there? What's the image that you're trying to convey to your children there? And yet, if you can understand, well, the call to war is there. The call to arms is there. It's always going to be there. And you can understand that as a lesson. Because there will always be a want to be empowered. There will always be a need to be strong. That happens with every generation. That happens with every human being. That is one of the fundamental needs of a human being, to be strong. And it's not psychological. It's not even social. It's not motivational. It's something that's in your being. Because strength doesn't necessarily mean the ability to shoot a gun, the ability to kill someone, the ability to have dominance over someone else physically. Strength means the state, the feeling of being strong, the feeling of 
of being able to contend with the situation. Which there in exact is the response to war. Because when war breaks out in a country, you feel powerless. When someone antagonizes you, either personally or nationally, well, that's a test of your strength. That's a test of your powerlessness. If your government officials or politicians announce tomorrow that so-and-so country has declared war on your country, then that is to say, well, what can we do about it? What does this mean? What are the consequences going to mean? Am I there to just... Be a doormat? Is it my fate that life should really just roll over me? Or can I stand up and do something about it? And in a more subtle sense, in a different way of looking at this, well, the call to arms is the call to fight for something. It's the call to fight for what you believe in. It's the call to fight for what you want. And sometimes you need to fight for love. Sometimes you need to fight for true self-expression. There's something very noble in that, to really fight for your right to express yourself and your ability to express yourself and to fight to overcome your personal barriers to expressing yourself. Well... That is a real freedom. And it does come up in relationships. Because you can say, well, would you fight for your family? In many ways, that's why families fight. (laughs) This is why brothers and sisters fight. This is why parents fight. It's because they love each other in a twisted kind of way. And really, when we fight with our family members, well, we don't realize that we're fighting for something that we actually want to maintain. We're fighting because we feel powerless. We feel like we've been done over with. Like a country that's had war declared against it. And we hate to have that feeling. We hate to be a doormat. And so the response is to fight. It's to bear arms. It's to grab your pitch and talk... to. Torches and pitchforks, <laughs> as we would say about the ogre. Many people see the ogre as a threat. 
right? That's what's going on there. This is just the same thing. The ogre in the woods is going to disrupt things. That's just the same as a country declaring war on another country. And, of course, the answer is to really re-engineer this feeling of power. The answer is to reverse-engineer it in a way and re-engineer it in a way so as to be able to give it to yourself consciously, to orchestrate it for yourself consciously. And in a healthy way, so that you don't have to go out and buy a gun and shoot up your enemies. Because violence is not the answer. Violence is never the answer. And to work with this feeling, to work with this state, you really need to hear what it is in you that is precious to you, that is worth protecting, that is worth fighting for, that is worth living for, that is worth dying for. So that's a little bit about the call to arms or the call to war. And, of course, war is one of the darkest components of humanity at large. It's one of the darkest things that's in human nature. And, of course, we all pray. We all pray every day for a war without world. And we will continue to pray for that. And of course, conversely, or as we've discussed, the beautiful side of that is our own empowerment. I mean, the only way out of war is through a true empowerment of every individual on every level. And that means socially, emotionally, personally, collectively, nationally, in every way. So I think that's at least enough to think about with the call to arms. So that's chapter two. We will be back very soon with the next episode in the series, Hearing the Call. So when you're ready, probably by the time you're listening to this, it will already be out. So when you're ready, you can follow wherever you need to to get to that episode. Thanks very much for tuning in. We'll be back soon with more.